All right, church, good morning. And uh, I don't know if I said this before, which I probably should. If you're new, welcome. My name's Kevin. Like, I should have maybe introduced myself. Uh, I'm your lead pastor. So glad you're with us. And today, we have made it. Right? We've made it. Yeah. We are this morning wrapping up the longest series in the history of mankind. No, in the history of Faith Covenant Church. We're so excited. We started this series uh, January 2nd of 2022. That's how long we've been in the book of Matthew. Some of you are like, wow, we've had children since then, <laughs> right? And uh, we've done 10 sub-series, 75 sermons later. 75 sermons. We're going to wrap it all up. And so to start this morning, here's what I want you to do. And please don't hurt my soul. Uh, after 75 sermons, you've got something. I want you to turn to the person next to you, share with them one or two things that you learned during 75 messages. So you can't say, I got nothing. Come on. 75 messages. Ready? Turn to the person next to you. Go. Right, everybody's gone? Yeah? Good. If you're new this morning, you're like, I got nothing. That's okay. You're the, only, you're the lone exception if you're new. Well, if you've got your Bible this morning, I hope you do. Turn with me to the very last chapter in Matthew, chapter 28. Over the last 18 months, we together have looked at the early years of Jesus. We have spent some time looking at the miracles of Jesus. We've looked at the Sermon on the Mount. We've looked at all sorts of parables of Jesus. We looked at the kingdom you never knew, of the preparation you never knew, of the community you never knew. We've spent some time looking at the rejection of Jesus. We've unpacked his teaching about the end times. We've even finally ended up in the last days we never knew, and now we come to the end of the book of Matthew. We come to the pinnacle of the book of Matthew, where everything is one big massive crescendo in the gospel of Matthew, and what we find is the answer to the question, well, what do we do now? What do we do now? And my answer is start another three-year series, right? No, and that's not true, <laughs> not true. But really, that's their question too. Because remember what's happened in the whole book? And the disciples are now going, what do we do now? We have the same question. This final section of Matthew is probably the most overquoted and underlived passage in all of the 66 books of our Bible, starting in verse 16, this is how this whole book ends, and this is what it says. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, 
and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That church is what we call the Great Commission. Maybe you've heard that before. If you've grown up in church, that's called the Great Commission. And Jesus right here is crystal clear, I think, about his authority. He's saying, all authority in heaven is mine. All authority on earth is mine. All of it's mine. And his death and his burial and his resurrection affirmed the validity of his teaching. They, they affirm the validity of his claims. It affirms the kingdom of God and that this kingdom is still moving forward, but it's moving forward in a way that the disciples did not fully understand. And I think it's moving forward to this day in a way that some of us still do not understand. See, the disciples thought that Jesus was going to rise from the dead and set up a kingdom right there in Jerusalem. Yeah, boy. We're, we're, I'm ready. He's back from the dead. He's setting up a kingdom, and, and here we go. But instead, what he does is he takes them all back out to Galilee, out of any city, and he says, actually, guys, I'm giving it to you. And you're going to be a disciple, and then you're going to make a disciple who makes disciples who makes disciples. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, the things, meaning the doctrines and the precepts and the, and the admonitions of, of all this ministry that has happened. He says, what you have heard me teach in the presence of many witnesses, entrust as a treasure to reliable and faithful men who will also be capable and qualified to teach others. We also see Paul write the same thing in the book of Titus, where he looks at him and says, hey, I'm going to teach you, and then I want you to teach someone else, and I want that person to teach someone else, and so on. That's what the Great Commission is talking about. Paul doesn't just talk about the Great Commission. He actually models it all throughout the New Testament. The disheartening truth, though, is the Great Commission today has become the great omission. People tend to think they're making disciples when we're not. Why? Because we have a great misunderstanding about what it means to make disciples. Today what we think is, hey, you know what? I brought a friend to church. I'm making disciples. Mm, yeah, maybe not. Like, I invited them to my life group, to a Bible study, to BSF, or wherever, and I'm going, eh, no, that's called an invitation. Right? That's called an invitation to a program to study or to learn. That is not making a disciple biblically. And while being a disciple certainly involves an aspect of studying, sure, an aspect of learning, sure, it is so much more than that. To be a disciple means to be an apprentice of Jesus. That's different. Sure, Jesus is our rabbi. Jesus is our teacher. But a disciple is to apprentice his way of life. Which means I'm to do what the teacher does. I'm to teach others you know, you know, what the teacher taught me. 
I'm supposed to prioritize the things that the teacher says are important and what they prioritize. I'm supposed to use my time and my resources and my energy the way the teacher uses his time and his resources and his energy. A disciple does not mean to know something. It means to be something. It means to live something and not in isolation because the Bible is not a book of isolation. Some people think, oh, I can always, sorry about this, watch online from home and be a disciple. You cannot do that biblically. You cannot be a disciple in isolation. A disciple knows something, a disciple is something, and a disciple lives something in community with people. But here's what's interesting. A disciple cannot lead someone where they've never been. That's called the blind leading the blind. Which means you cannot make a disciple if you're not one yourself. That's the weird part about a disciple. And right here is the disconnect for so many people in the church today because a lot of Christians today, they quote this passage. The Great Commission, like, hey, we should go and we should make disciples. Like, I mean, somebody should. Like, like I'm not. I mean, but, you know, somebody should. Our church should. I'm not sure I'm going to. But somebody should because Jesus says that we should. But the problem is that the process of making disciples begins with you, singular. With me, singular. Not somebody else. Because somewhere along the line, we have begun to rank or assign levels of Christianity. What I mean by that is, so many Christians do this. We go, well, there's the normal Christians, and we all hope we're one of those, right? We're, there's normal Christians, but then there's like the D1 college level Christian. Do you know what I mean? Like, we all played uh, high school sports, but then there's the, the, the kids who went to the D1 college. We think the same thing in Christianity. There's normal Christians, and then there's the D1 Christians. And then there's the professional Christians and the special forces Christians. And I'm like, I, I, really? Because after 75 weeks in the book of Matthew, is that what we've seen anywhere? In fact, we've seen the opposite. Because remember, all of the disciples were kicked out of Jewish school. Said all of us who were kicked out of college. Yeah, right? You know, because that was me. And so... Uh, that, um, some of you are laughing. That's a true story for another sermon. But uh, <laughs> my wife's going to love me saying that publicly. But um, yeah, so we think that, but that's all these guys were kicked out of Jewish school. And a rabbi went back to them and said, we see something in you. And so something else is happening here. Something else is, is going on in this moment. See, there's an invitation by Jesus to anyone and everyone to begin apprenticing him. I love that. But today, we use the word follower. And that's a confusing word because in our world today, we use follower of Jesus and a disciple of Jesus as the same thing. Biblically, they're not the same thing. Following Jesus and apprenticing Jesus are not the same thing. Because lots of people follow Jesus around and heard him preach. Lots of people followed him around and saw the miracles. Lots of people gathered together and followed him wherever he went. So being a follower was not necessarily a positive thing. It meant in those days that you are partially committed 
Yeah, so you probably shouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus because it means you are partially committed. It means you're part way in. It means that you were interested and intrigued, but that you weren't all in quite yet. Being a follower of Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus biblically are not the same thing because a disciple knows something, a disciple is something, and a disciple lives something in community. And what's strange is, somewhere along the line, pastors thought this idea of teaching the Great Commission, that, that this turned into a shaming message. Shame on you for not making disciples. Like, I was, I, I've heard that. And it, or maybe the pastor had a guilting message and tried to guilt you into making disciples. From Jesus, this is an invitational message. That, that we're being invited to something of great depth. We're being invited into something that will bring you great joy, that will bring you great purpose. And if you don't, you might miss it. We're being invited into something so exciting, so challenging, and so fulfilling. See, the gospel is not just that I'm saved from something. Too many Christians go, yes, I'm saved from my sin. That's the gospel. No, the gospel is I'm saved from something. I'm saved to something, and I'm saved for something. I don't think we always get the next two. And so after 75 weeks, we've looked at salvation. We've wrestled with the recognition of a God who created this world by his will and by his power. A God who created us and loves us, and he shapes us, into his image. But we, as image bearers, have rebelled against a holy God. And each of us, like sheep, have gone astray. That's what the Bible says. Each of us have turned to our own way. That's what scripture says. But the Lord took the sins of us all to fall upon him because Jesus died in our place, in my place. Part of being a disciple is indeed embracing the finished work of Christ, of embracing what Jesus has done for us, of trusting in Christ and believing in Christ and placing our faith in Christ as our ruling and reigning and resurrected king. That certainly is part of it. But being a disciple is also more than that. It's not just embracing the gospel at a point in time, but it's also embracing the gospel over time. Recognizing that God is still at work in me. And I always go, amen, because I need it. Like, I need him to be at work in me, recognizing that we've not arrived yet. Like, if you're going, I'm good, I'm basically perfect. Ask your spouse, like, ask your kids, ask your friends, ask anyone you want. You're the only one who thinks that about you. And so you're not all fixed. We're not finished. The Christian faith is not, you know what, I used to be a sinner, but now I'm good. I used to be a sinner. All that stuff, like that, it's gone away, all done. That, that's not how this works. A switch didn't go off like that. That's not how it works. Over time, I'm being conformed into the image of Christ. The Holy Spirit is working on me. The Holy Spirit is working in me. And the Holy Spirit is working through me, helping me look more like Jesus 
every day, in every way. The Holy Spirit is not trying to make you a better you. That's called self-help books. That's an inflated understanding of who you are. The Holy Spirit is helping you look more like Jesus every day. I don't want to look more like me. I'm kind of a mess. So I, I need to look like Jesus more every day in every way. And some days, some days, it's hard, isn't it? And then other days, it's harder. <laughs> And, and some days it's messy and it's chaotic. And then other days it's messier and more chaotic. I was going to say easy, but has there been any message ever that's been easy in the book of Matthew? I'm still waiting for that message. I haven't found an easy one yet. And so it's hard and it's messy. But in this transformation that's happening in me and to me and through me, I'm beginning to experience and understand and have familiarity with what Paul calls the abundant life. To live in relationship to the fullness of Christ. And this isn't, by the way, an intellectual exercise. This isn't like me downloading information, finishing the curriculum, passing the written test. That, that's not what a disciple is. Rather, it's this idea of walking in step with the Holy Spirit every day, moment by moment. That's what's happening. I, it's, it's apprenticing how to live in rhythm with God by walking out this Christian faith through the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I love what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3. It says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage. You should go home and look at what that word garbage means. The best word I can use on stage, and especially on a live stream, is dung. If you don't know what dung is, ask afterwards and someone will share that to you. That's what, what, what he means by garbage, like filth, nastiness. I consider it garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, from good works, from all of my effort, but that, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I, Paul says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Is being a disciple an invitation to know something? Yes. But it's also an invitation to be something, to make disciples, you have to know, and you have to be. And before I can make a disciple, I really need to ask myself two questions. And that really first question really is, do I know him or do I know about him? I really have to wrestle with, do I know him or do I know about him? 
And the second question I really have to ask is this idea is, have I changed my pursuit in life to passionately pursue Jesus Christ? What is my occupation and what is my preoccupation? Some of you, those are the same things, and they should not be. What is your occupation, which is awesome, whatever you do for a living, but what behind it is your preoccupation? Like, are your attention, is your attention fixed on his purposes and his plan wherever you live, learn, work, and play? It doesn't matter where you work, or is your attention focused on him? Like, when I read the Word of God, does it both affirm the things in me that are like Christ, and does it expose the things in me that are not? Has my calendar, has my checkbook, have my priorities, have my relationships begun to shift because of this new preoccupation? My hope and my prayer is that over the last 75 weeks, it has. And, and here's why this is so important. When you know and you begin to be, Paul suggests that something changes in us. You become a weirdo. <laughs> right? That's really what happens. He writes, follow my example as I follow Christ. So he wasn't suggesting that he was the one they should follow per se. He's like, look, if the gap between you and God is too big, you know what? Just do what I do, because all I do is exactly what he says. So you just do what I do as I do it. Just mimic me. That's a big statement. Just follow me as I look more like Christ. That's being a disciple. The disciple sets their sights so firmly on Jesus that other people, just by being around them, begin to see something very, very different than what the world is displaying, than what the world is prioritizing, than the way the world is living. They begin to see what it looks like when someone has their affections and their intentions and their daily practices focused on things other than their kids, focused on things other than your work or your money, or your pleasure, because the disciple is showing or reflecting Christ. And so it becomes both confusing to the world and compelling to the world, hence the term weirdo. And so when the world is burning and chaos is all around them, they look at you and think, what's with that guy? What's with that girl? John Wesley, the great English theologian and preacher, said it this way, I set myself on fire, and people come and watch me burn. I love that. Now, of course, that's a metaphor, right? So please do not go home and send out invitation to your neighbors and light yourself on fire. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying if our hearts... And our lives are just consumed with passion for God. And we invite others in. How could they not see the love of Christ incarnate in us through his spirit? See, that's being and making disciples. And so if we're going to make the Great Commission a reality in our city, 
in our state, in our world? How about just in our homes and in our churches? We have to first be about it ourselves, which actually speaks to the language of the text. Because too many Christians today think the Great Commission is actually the Great Suggestion. It's not, you know, that, that's not the truth. The language here uses what's called an imperative, which means it's a command. It's not optional like, hey, you should make disciples like if you feel like it. Hey, you know, maybe you could make disciples or you could not make disciples. I don't know, your call. You know, if you got time and if you feel like it, go ahead and do it. That's not it at all. Today, in the texting world, an imperative command would be like if you sent someone a text in all caps with fire emojis and a slam effect at the end. That's the, the current cultural idea of an imperative command. Jesus is saying, I'm serious. Like, I'm dead serious. I want you to understand what you have to do, what you must do, which is absolutely critical for you to do. There's nothing else you have to do. You have to do this. And see, most people miss the imperative, the command, in the text. They think it's the word go. Go. No. That's not the grammatical imperative. It's make disciples. So based on the entirety of the Gospel of Matthew, based on the teachings and the priorities of the king and the kingdom, the crescendo of it all, the pinnacle of it all is the command that each of us, every single one of this in the room and watching online, all of us, that we would be and would make disciples. That's the command. All caps, fire emoji, slam effect. That's what it means. And what that means, according to 75 weeks of teaching, is that we are to arrange our life in such a way that we are making disciples to engage in spiritual practices that further enhance our life as disciples and to intentionally and consistently invite others into that as well. To actually invest their time and our energy and our effort into being a disciple and living like a disciple, which must include making disciples. Because making disciples is what disciples do. You can't be a basketball player if you don't play basketball. I can say things like, I used to be a basketball player, but I don't play anymore. You can't be a disciple and not make disciples. You have to start saying, I used to be a disciple. Said no one ever in church, right? <laughs> I'm not saying that. And for clarity, just, and maybe for encouragement's sake, making a disciple is not religious behavior modification. Okay, that's not what it is. It's not, if I could just program you with the right thoughts and the right actions and just type in all the code and download it into your brain, then I've got a disciple. See, I remember growing up as, as a kid and all of my friends got the lame, normal dump truck. But I got a dump truck that had a keypad on it and you could program it into doing something. And so you could program into it, okay, move two feet forward. Some of you are like, you're so old, Kevin. Yeah, that's fine. I, I am, you know, because a little small little keypad, it would go forward like two feet and it would turn right at 45 degree angle and go and, and then it would turn again and it would lower its, its, its uh, uh, bucket down 
And I was so excited. And then it would get stuck under the Christmas tree. My mom would get mad at me. And then, because it made a wrong turn, so I'd have to take it back. And I'd have to start all over. And i have to reprogram them again and watch it go out. Oh, I blew it again. And do that over and over again. Because if you were not precise, it didn't do exactly what I wanted. I think sometimes we think making disciples is sort of like that little dump truck. And if we can... If we can program it, like if I can find the right curriculum, if I can find the right five-day study, if I can find the right book, if I can find the right person, the right formula, but that's not how it works. It's knowing, and it's being, and it's living it by inviting others, just like Jesus did, into kingdom living. And it's walking with them, and intentionally and consistently doing that in community. Inviting them into something so much better, so much more fulfilling, so much more satisfying, and certainly so much more adventurous. It's funny, when I was in Israel with Pastor Dan, we were there with a whole bunch of other pastors and leaders. And we were talking about discipleship, and we don't have it all figured out, but I feel like we're, we were down the road a little bit from where a lot of these pastors and leaders were. And so they would grab us and try to have a meal with us, and they would look at us and say, Kevin what's the secret? Like, and what they're asking is, really, Kevin, what's the curriculum? Like, show us that. Download that to us. What is the secret to making disciples and success there? And the answer I looked at them is, it's not a curriculum. It's not a program. It's not mops. It's not a wanna. It's not all these other things. Those are, those are fine things, but you know what it is? And they were always disappointed, I felt like, when he said this. You know, what, you know what it is? It's every day spending time in prayer with Jesus. And it's every day spending time in God's word with Jesus. And they would say, I'm doing that. And I would say, no, no, no. You're reading your Bible. Stop reading your Bible and let your Bible read you. Here's what I mean by that. A bunch of us in this room are reading through the Bible this year together chronologically, and we're in the minor prophets, and, and we've hit the major prophets as well. And over and over again, as you read the minor prophets, you go, Israel, you're so stupid. Judah, you're so dumb. Over and over again, you're a stiff-necked people. You're a stiff-necked people, and they're calling them back to something. When you read your Bible, you're like, they're dumb. I'm the prophet. When the Bible reads you, you go, I think I'm the stiff-necked person. I think I'm the one that over and over and over again is blowing it. I'm the one that's got idols. I'm the one that's still holding up my kids and sacrificing them to Molech. I'm the one still bowing down at Baal at the God of money. I'm the one setting up Asherah poles, which basically is I'm worshiping experiences. I'm idolatrous of the same gods as them. See the difference? Because when you read your Bible... You go, oh, and you're the hero. But when your Bible reads you, you begin to see something out. And as I do, what happens is the love of God begins to invade that space. And when I would typically run in shame over the sin in my life, I begin to lay those shameful things at the feet of Jesus where he offers me grace and where he offers me mercy 
and he offers me love and forgiveness and restoration. And where sometimes, though, he brings correction to me, and he brings training and a new understanding, and where all of a sudden my view of God changes as I begin to live like Jesus, not, not only that he loves me, that he actually loves me, that he actually cares for me, but that he loves me and cares for me enough to not leave me that way. Because I'm not nearly as good today as I think I am. I have a long way to go. And so what he wants to do through prayer and through his word is he wants to shape me. And he wants to grow me. And he wants me to pull me to something greater. It's not the process of me becoming a better me, but of looking and thinking and living more and more like him. And it's happening both for my sake and for others around me. Because when that happens to me and in me, other people begin to look at me and they begin to see the power and the beauty and the faithfulness and the miraculous work of God in me where I can invite them into the same thing with me. An invitation for them to process their lives to process their decisions and their struggles, where they can process their motives and actions and pains, their sufferings through the lens and the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then leaning into prayer and leaning into God's word and letting the Holy Spirit have his way with us. That's discipleship. But there's more to this great commission than just the imperative. All of the language arts teachers in the room are going to love this because there's three participles here as well. Go, baptize, and teach them to obey. We, you and me, are to go. You and me are to baptize, and you and me are to teach them to obey. So, so wherever you go, wherever you go, make disciples, right? So if you're a teacher, make disciples. Occupation, preoccupation. If, if you're in construction or law, if you, if you own a small business, make disciples. If you mow lawns, make disciples. If you are retired from the workforce, make disciples. Side note, nowhere in Scripture is the word retirement ever used. So if you're going, I'm retired from the workforce and I have grown kids, I think he's going, what you got other than time? Make disciples. Wherever you live, learn, work, and play, wherever you go, go and make disciples, regardless of someone's race or ethnicity or nationality. It doesn't matter. Wherever you experience the nations, some of you experience the nations at work. There's people of other races and ethnicities and nationalities in you. Some of you, the nations are across the street. Some of you are at your lunch table. The nations are everywhere because you have an occupation and you have a preoccupation. And so the Great Commission, after 75 weeks of preaching, it's for all of us, regardless of age, ethnicity, nationality, socioeconomics, education, there's no retirement from the Great Commission. But some of us have. And some of us are like, well, you know, Kevin, if you don't know my life, I am so busy. The first thing I'd say is, join the club? Again, is anybody sitting around going, I got nothing, nothing to do today? Very few said, like no one I know, like everybody's busy. 
But the problem is when you use busy as an excuse, when you use distractions as an excuse, Satan laughs. Because he'll wait the followers out. But he hasn't figured out a way in 2,000 years of stopping disciples. That's the power. But then the second participle is to baptize, which means to immerse or to identify or to associate oneself with. And so to be baptized is to identify yourself publicly as a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's the public profession of what Jesus Christ has done in your life and is to publicly profess your association with the work of the gospel. So some of us go, well, shouldn't I be baptized by water? Yes. And you should only be baptized in water one time because it takes. <laughs> Some people think, well, it didn't take the first time. No, no, but that's a different sermon too, but you only need to be baptized one time. But here he says there's something else. You're also supposed to be baptized as a daily thing. So, so what he's saying here is every day identify as mine. Make your identity me, because your identity is not your marriage. Your identity is not your kids. Your identity is not your sexuality. Your identity is not your profession. It's not your fame or your fortune. Your identity is Jesus Christ. That's who and what you are to publicly proclaim that you identify with. If any of those other things usurp identifying as Christ in your life, you're identifying with the wrong thing. And that final participle is to teach them to think about it. No, it's teach them to obey. And no one likes the, the, the dirty four-letter O word, right? Obey, oh, that's terrible. No one likes that. But just to be clear, what this does not mean is that we are to sit quietly by and hope and pray that my office sees my lifestyle and that somehow by osmosis they're going to love Jesus. But that's what we say, right? We even quote what's Father Francis of Sissy, right? Hey, show the gospel every day, and if need be, use words. That's so badly taken out of context, because I would look at you and say, fine, if I'm just supposed to live something and never say anything, how's that going for our family units? How's that going in our country right now? I'm just going to live my life, let other people watch my lifestyle, and somehow through osmosis, they're going to go, Jesus is awesome. Like, that's how it's going to work? I don't think so. What he's saying is, teach them the Old Testament. That's what he's saying. Teach them the Old Testament. Jesus is saying, teach them, actually show them me on every page of the Old Testament and now on these pages. Because some people look at me and go, Kevin, you know, I only want to read the Gospels. They actually say this to me. Because the Old Testament is angry God. And the and, and Paul, he writes, he's confusing and mean and bitter as well. And so we just read the Gospels. So I'm going to avoid everything else at all costs. But Jesus is saying, teach them all that I've commanded you, which includes the books of the Bible, in your Bible, the names of which you can't pronounce. And if I look at your Bible, it's the pages that, you know, the books that are still stuck together. Those pages, no, they've never been opened since you bought the Bible. Yeah, teach them those pages too. Teach them all those things. Teach those things. He says, I did. So teach all of it. Don't skip any of it. 
Teach them how it all began. Teach them how it spiraled out of control. Teach them my calls to repentance. Teach them the pinnacle of the story, which is me. And teach of the story of how his glory and how his power spread throughout the entire known world. Teach them how it all ends as well. From beginning to end, teach it all. Because it all speaks of me, who is the very one we're becoming like. But what I love most about this passage is it doesn't just give me a command, an imperative. And it doesn't just give me three participles. It gives me a promise. Do all of this while it all happens. I will be with you as you do it every single day. I promise. Pinky swear. Blood oath. Whatever you want to do here. You know, I promise. When you go, I'm with you. When you identify as mine publicly and it doesn't go well for you, I'm with you. When you teach people to obey, I am with you. When you publicly profess your faith and the world thinks you're crazy, I'm with you. When you feel like no one understands you, that no one is listening to you, and the world labels you as a fundamental fundamental radical Christian, I am with you. When you teach people what I said, and they all think you've lost your mind, and they challenge you, how could anyone ever take seriously that archaic book? What a waste of time. He says, I am with you. When you tell people there's a better way to live, and when you call your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to holiness, and you invest in other people with the best years of your life, I am with you. I will strengthen you. I will heal you. I will give you incredible power. I will bring you joy and peace and hope that's going to stump everyone around you. I am with you every day. And so church, we have a a calling on our lives. For we are disciples of a living God. That we're, we're brought into the richness of his kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. That we have the privilege of living out the kingdom right here on earth. And one day when he returns, or maybe when I die... Either one, it doesn't matter. He's going to bring all things under his lordship. In the meantime, we are living as disciples. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples, knowing that he will be with us always to the very end of the age. And so church, that is the Jesus you never knew.